And welcome back into the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles Pickles. This is Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Brett Hudson. Brett, how are you doing this morning, brother? I'm good, man. I am. Uh, I'm doing what I'm always doing, which is staring at, into a baby monitor, hoping to see no uh, no movement or sound coming out of it. Has the the adjustment to dad life been difficult? I'm sure it's got tons of rewards, but is it everything? Is it more difficult than you thought it would be? Is it less difficult? I don't know. It's just uh, I don't know that it's more. Le- I mean, it's certainly more difficult than without than living just the two of us in the house as opposed to uh, four of us now. It's certainly more difficult than that. Um, but I don't know. It's just uh, it's just something you do, I guess, or at least that's what it was for me. You just kind of have a new set of responsibilities and tasks you you add instead of doing things casually for for fun. You uh, you do things for for them. I don't know. It's hard to explain. Like like typically before you have children, you fill your time. You try to fill your time with tasks that you want to accomplish, like hobbies or reading or house projects or uh, extra work or whatever. Now that time is filled for you with things you have to do for your children. If that makes sense. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. I, I just, uh, I know that I'm not anywhere close yet, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it whenever it happens. I just know that when it does come, uh, that the big thing that I hear from most people is, you know, you think you're prepared and you're prepared as far as, you know, a lot more prepared as far as, uh, you know, making sure that you're on top of everything, but it's going to be different than you think. True. True. I would advise having one at a time. That would be my advice for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess the, when you have like the two parents with one kid that kind of makes it very even balanced, the two on two, uh, I guess it doesn't make it balanced, but it makes it more manageable. I guess is the way to put that, but the two on two, um, but I don't know, man, uh, having twins, that sounds like it'd be fun. Uh, eventually oh, it's a blast, it's a blast. Yeah. don't get me wrong but if you want to sleep and maintain some semblance of normalcy i would i would remain advising uh have one at a time well whenever i do decide to have kids i have a wife and we're ready to take that step i'll be sure to to tell her hey when this happens make sure you don't get twins okay i would, uh, I would give that a shot if the twins do come from the female side i was told by doctors so and I heard twins are becoming more common too, which is a very interesting uh, development. Twins are taking over the world, brother. They are. They are. I hope that's the case with with mine. All right. Well, let's get to some Alabama football and yeah, Alabama man, athletic been, stuff. It's been a couple weeks since we've uh, since we've done this, which I mean, you kind of have to to get some news in, but we finally got a a good bit of news to get to. A lot of stuff, uh, a lot of different angles. First of all, guys heading out of the program and the transfer portal have selected new schools. We've got new guys who are committing um, news on those players, and we'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about COVID-19 and you know what, how Alabama's kind of navigating that. And then we'll also be talking about the uh, announcement of the home-and-home home schedule with Ohio State for 2027 and 2028. We'll be looking at that a little bit as well, but we'll start with these transfers. Uh, Tyrell Shavers being the first, he's certainly not the first during the offseason, but the first since we recorded the last pod. And we had the news that he had entered the transfer portal. We didn't know where that destination was going to be. And we soon found out after we recorded that pod that he was going to be going to Mississippi State. What were your initial thoughts on Tyrell Shavers uh, becoming a Bulldog? 
it makes perfect sense on on both sides. Um, the the competition is is the same since he's staying in the in the SEC West, so you don't have to to fear for that. But he is he is going to a team that desperately needs wide receivers because they're going into an air raid, right? And they need wide receivers for days. And State's roster last year had seven tight ends on it, and only one of them was a senior. So they're returning a ton of tight ends for an offense that doesn't really need tight ends, like almost never. So you combine those environmental aspects together, you find a Mississippi State roster that desperately needs a lot of wide receivers, not just talent at the wide receiver position, which they could certainly use more of, but just sheer bodies at the position. They need they need both, and and Terrell Shavers fits both uh, both both molds. So I, I think it it makes a, a ton of sense for for both parties. Yeah, they have a couple of returning guys at receiver: Osiris Mitchell, uh, Javante Payton, Deontay Jones, and Austin Williams. Those all are guys who got playing time last year, but they really, you know, it's like you said, they need depth at that spot, and that's something that they certainly didn't have. And you know, Tyrell Shavers is a former top 100 recruit, that typical height, weight, speed guy, six six, two oh five, four four speed. Um, he's going to make an impact, I think, almost immediately in that Mississippi State offense. Will that be as a starter? I don't necessarily know. But with them going a lot of four and five wide under uh, Mike Leach, I mean, he's going to get the opportunity to get playing time. And I actually like Mississippi State's offense and what they're putting together. Now, it's going to take a little while for some of those guys to gel. But Scott Lashley, he's a guy that's going to be competing for a starting spot along the offensive line. Greg Island's still there. Darian Parker, uh, that five-star redshirt freshman, Charles Cross, he's going to be looking to maybe get the, the starting left tackle job in year two maybe so i like what they're putting together kylan hill kj costello uh just i think they're gonna be really good offensively i worry about them as far as their defense but they should be a good enough team where alabama when they play them and and, you know if they're able to beat them can point to that game on the schedule and say hey that was a pretty good football team not necessarily a a top 25 team not a a team that's even going to maybe finish with um, you know, they might not even get to eight wins. It's possible. I've been looking at their schedule. I think kind of the ceiling for them is probably eight and four, but I'd probably think more in the six and six to seven and five range. Um, but I think they'll actually be a better football team than that reflects. They're just playing a lot of tough opponents. And um, for for Alabama, anytime you can get somebody on the schedule that you can beat, and they're a, a bowl team that helps you and so i think that's exactly what happens i like what tyrell shavers is going to bring to that offense and then you also have hold on so one more thing and this is very like in in the weeds inside baseball here uh so tyrell shavers there is a highly rated women's basketball recruit in the texas area named jasmine shavers who is considering mississippi state and, and mississippi state has an incredible women's basketball program they just lost their coach to Texas, they they hired a, a replacement. They're recruiting this Jasmine Shavers out of the same area of Texas from which Terrell Shavers is from. So I don't know if they're related. I don't know if they're like cousins or, or something, but if there is a family connection there, there, Mississippi State could benefit in more than just football from Terrell Shavers showing up in Mississippi State. He could be another connection to get him a, a women's basketball recruit there they're looking at so that's be, interesting i know it's wild and it, it, it'd be funny if uh if an alabama football transfer ended up getting uh getting two guys to 
to Mississippi State, although I guess that's already happened with the football team, thanks to Scott Lashley and, uh, and Terrell Shavers. But in, in different sports, that'd be that'd be interesting. But the, the other one is uh, Chadarius Townsend going to, to Texas Tech, and that's your guy. So I'll, I'll let you have the floor on that one. Yeah, so from what I've been hearing, um, the reason that I'd originally put it out that Georgia was a potential landing spot is I know that when uh, Scott Cochran decided that he was going to be going to Georgia, he did make mention to Chadarius that um, Chadarius, I think, had went to him and said that he wa- you know, wanted to see if he could get a bigger role on maybe special teams or what the plans were for him moving forward. And, you know, pretty much Cochran just told him, uh, you know, in a joking manner, hey, you're going to be coming with me. And that, that was back when the old Miss Scott Cochran things were kind of kicking up. So I think Jadarius thought, you know, maybe he was uh, thinking about going to Ole Miss, but it ultimately ended up being Georgia and not Ole Miss. And that's why he had kind of considered based off of what they had from a scholarship perspective, he wasn't sure where he'd fit in. But ultimately it came down to Texas Tech and Mississippi State. So Mississippi State almost got a third Alabama grad transfer, which would have been absolutely wild. And I think that he would have done well in Starkville as well. But I think him going to Texas Tech uh, makes a lot of sense because what he's actually going to be doing is he's, he's going to be playing running back. Uh, he played some running back for Alabama, played some receiver, played a little bit of defensive back, was a special teams guy. But Texas Tech desperately needed uh, more scholarship players or more um, you know, experience at the running back position. So Roderick Thompson is the only scholarship running back uh, that has had college carries on campus for them. And the only other scholarship running back they have on the roster at all is Taj Brooks, a three-star true freshman. So in Matt Wells' high-powered offense, you, he wants to have options, at re, whether it be at receiver or running back. And Chadarius, you know, he could do a little bit of both, but you'll probably see him playing a lot more running back, and he should get a pretty significant workload. So I thought that was great for him. I think, you know, he's willing to go somewhere else, and if, if the role was special teams, then he was willing to take that and run with it. Uh, he just wanted a bigger role is all he was uh, looking for. But it looks like in Lubbock, he's going to get a chance to actually see significant playing time, and, and that's great for him. I mean, you, you see guys transfer, and, and, and well, you look at Tyrell Shavers. He's a guy that was criticized by a lot of Alabama fans. Um, no one's really been shy about that uh, for, for kind of being a bust and, and transferring out. I think people don't like it when guys transfer out but they're trying to do what's best for them. But when it comes to Chagarius uh, Townsend, he's one of those few guys that when it was announced that he was going to Texas Tech, I didn't really see any Bama fans giving him any sort of negative feedback. It was all very positive. They know that he tried to do everything he possibly could for the Alabama program, playing a, a ton of different positions and doing different things to try to help. And and he just wasn't ever going to see the field significantly enough at Alabama to, to really make a, a major impact. And he wanted to, to have an impact on a college football program before he left. So that it's been fantastic to see uh, fans support his decision. And I know that we'll all be pulling for him there out in Lubbock. Yeah, my, my only hope for him is that he gets to stay in one position at, at Texas Tech and, and see what what his athletic potential allows him to do. And it sounds like uh, sounds like Matt Wells and that staff are going to let him stay at, at running back instead of moving him back and forth like Alabama did. And that's not to necessarily criticize Alabama. I mean, they, they didn't do it for fun. Like they, they had to they had to do certain things with their roster management at the time to to do all those things, and clearly Jadarius was willing to do it. Um, but there, there's no doubt that doing that kind of – kind it prevented him from mastering one trade. And at, at this level, you got to master something to, to do it well at this level. So hopefully he's able to to master running back at, at Texas Tech. Hopefully that, 
that works out for him. And in the meantime, since Jadarius Townsend and Terrell Shavers won't be in the wide receiving crew at, at Alabama this year, they've gone ahead and booked three four-star wide receivers in their class of, of 2021 as if Alabama needed any more help getting top-of-the-line wide receivers based on what we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when you talk about them losing Henry Ruggs third and Jerry Judy, more than likely, we don't know this definitively with Jalen Waddle, but they'll probably be having to replace both Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle following this season. Right. Tyrell Shavers isn't there to step up into one of those roles. Jadarius Townsend isn't. Um, so they're looking for uh, a, a, you know, almost immediate contributors um, for next season at the receiver position. And they got a pretty good group coming in with Treshawn Holden and some of those people, J- uh, Javon Branch, and then Tyu Jones-Bell. That's a nice little trio of guys to really add to the depth, but they want to bring in more competition. And when you look at this receiving group, I mean, uh, Christian Leary was the most recent. Uh, he committed, I think, what was it, two days ago maybe? Yeah, um, three days. We're, we're three recording days. this on Friday. Yeah, uh, so uh, this was yeah this was on the 16th, I believe. So you've got the commitment of him. You already have Ja'Cory Brooks, who actually got his fifth star from 247 Sports. So he's now kind of up there, the number 27 overall player. And then you also have Hall, who's another top 100 prospect. Um, And oddly enough, between those two guys and then the other big commitment that Alabama got with J.C. Latham, uh, the five-star offensive tackle, all four of those guys were out of Florida. And so I thought that was pretty interesting uh, because Alabama this season hasn't been recruiting in-state maybe as well as they, they normally do, but they've gone into Florida, which is an even richer state as far as high school talent, and they've pulled several key members of its uh, 2021 class. It, it's true. Uh, the, so the first thing that came to mind when Christian Leary committed on Tuesday was – does this mean Alabama is done at the wide receiver position, or do you think they might add more? Now, when I say that, I know that there are guys out there that are so good that no matter what, you let them come to campus and you figure out the scholarship situation after. And maybe that person is out there, and maybe they're a wide receiver, and maybe they choose Alabama, and they end up having a fourth wide receiver, even though they didn't necessarily want to have one, I guess that's possible, but I, you made a good case for Alabama needing a pretty healthy dose of wide receiver for its 2021 and 2022 teams. So it makes sense that Alabama's gone three, uh, especially at this high a level with all three of them uh, being four or five stars, Ja'Cory Brooks being the five star there. But I, I think my, my, skepticism for taking a fourth wide receiver in this class is less about the wide receiver position and more about everywhere else because they only have one defensive lineman and one offensive lineman in the class and we'll get to that one offensive lineman jc latham shortly but they're obviously going to need a lot more than that they don't have a quarterback in this class yet uh i mean they don't have a running back in it but they may not need a running back in it they only have one linebacker you can assume they would need more than that they have one safety uh, might take another one there. You also are going to need some corners in this class. There are just so many needs at other positions. I'm skeptical of a fourth wide receiver in this class. But what what do you, what do you think of that? 
Yeah, I think that um, probably some of the heavy spots they're going to try to hit before this is all said and done. They're going to try to address corner with with quality prospects, not just a, you know from a numbers standpoint, but from a quality standpoint. They need really impact players. You know, with maybe losing Patrick Sertan after this season, it's possible Josh Job could be gone. More than likely, he won't be. But um, they just don't have a lot of depth right now at the at the uh, cornerback position and then the offensive line. Last year, they added three bodies along the offensive line, but um, you know none of them were just completely standout guys who you can, you know, a lot of great developmental prospects, which is fantastic because they didn't really need guys who can step in and start right away. But you know, you also don't know for sure that any of those three guys are going to be able to develop them to what you hope they can. So you need to continue to add depth at the position, and they recruited the offensive line extremely well a couple of years ago. But some of these guys, as they get up there uh, with the returning starters Alabama has right now, it's possible that some of those guys could choose to transfer, especially if that new transfer rule comes into place where you have a one-time, you know, no penalty transfer, you'll start seeing a lot more turnover. So Alabama trying to head a lot of that stuff off. And, and one area that you always want to be deep at is the offensive line. Uh, that's key to being a consistent national championship contender is having a strong protection up front office, offensively. And that's what they're trying to do. And J.C. Latham's a big part of that. They're also in really good shape with the the Brockermeyer twins out of Texas, the five-star offensive tackle Tommy Brockermeyer and then his younger, or excuse me, I guess they're twins, but yeah. the offensive center and James Brockermeyer, uh, who is a, a four-star prospect, the number one center in the country. They're in good shape with both those guys. If they landed both of them, uh, which we don't know definitively that they will, but they're in good shape. On top of adding J.C. Latham, pretty much anything else uh, as far as the offensive line is concerned is just you know gravy on top of that. But back to your point about the wide receivers, I agree. I think that it would be very difficult for them to be able to manage it from a roster standpoint and a class standpoint to go with four, not three. I think so, too. And uh, the, the Brockermeyer twins are – are really key on on the offensive line there. I mean, if they can if they can get an Amarius Mims or a Tristan Lee, um, I don't know, maybe a maybe a Terrence Ferguson or a, I'm trying to think of who else would would fit this mold. Maybe a, you know that really might be it. Maybe a Owen Prentice or that doesn't seem necessarily likely, but yeah, that's probably it. And that's kind of the the thing that we were going into a few weeks ago when we did the recruiting podcast was in terms of Alabama getting the prospects they typically get um, on the offensive line, their, their options are, are very, very slim. So if they, if they miss on the Brockermeyer twins, uh, they need to get a Marius Mims. They need to get Tristan Lee. They need to find a way to get, someone else to flip probably uh, maybe a Donovan Jackson flipping away from Ohio state or Micah Morris flipping away from Georgia, uh, something to, to that effect. Cause otherwise it, it's going to be tough to, to get the numbers you need on the offensive line in, in this class. And that's why I'm kind of skeptical of a fourth wide receiver. I think that would be uh, it would behoove them to, throw all their eggs into the Brockermeyer twins basket and hope that hope that pans out for them. That's just a highly competitive recruiting. So it might be tough to, to stomach that. And then the defensive line and all those needs we mentioned earlier. So I would not be surprised if uh, this trio is it for Alabama on the wide receiver position in this class. And they can start looking to some of those, those other priorities. And JC Latham is, 
is clearly uh, a good start there. Uh, number 17 prospect in the nation in the 247 sports composite. Uh, number five offensive tackle in America. A top five prospect in the state of Florida. All those things are pretty difficult to do. So he's he is definitely a good start. And if you can add the Brockermeyer twins to that, then I, I think you're right that those three offensive linemen would probably be good enough for your class. It wouldn't hurt to have a fourth in there, but those three would probably be good enough. But that's that's all dependent on them actually locking down the Brockermeyer twins. Right, and that's going to be extremely important in my opinion. But when you look at this Alabama class in 2021, uh, you know, we talked about it a few weeks ago. Everybody was freaking out. Alabama was down there, you know, around the the 50 range as far as their recruiting class is concerned. And we were talking about, you know, there might be some difficulty as far as numbers are concerned with this class. And it's more than likely that they won't finish with the number one overall class. And I kind of still stand by that. They're getting a lot closer to being a top 10 class. And I definitely think, you know, it's possible they could end up even finishing with a top five class. So I don't think that's completely outside of the realm of possibility. Uh, just how high they could finish. Um, I mean, is it technically still possible that they could get the number one class? Sure. But I just think from a number standpoint, they're going to be a lot more selective in, in who they go after. But in the last five weeks, I mean, Christian Leary uh, on the 16th of this month, J.C. Latham only four days before that. Then you had the, the trio of Ian Jackson, Kane Williams, and Ja'Cory Brooks over the course of the month of May. Uh, they've added, you know, two five-star talents and three four-star talents, highly regarded four-star talents. All of them are top 250 guys uh, just over the course of the last five weeks, and they're in good shape with, like I said, the Brockermeyer twins. Kendrick Blackshire, the four-star linebacker, borderline top 150 guy, um, the off-ball linebacker. He's the guy out of Texas that I think that Alabama has a really good shot at landing. And then uh, Demond Payne, the five-star defensive tackle. Um, number 18 overall prospect. That's another guy they're in really good shape with as well. So they're they're really coming on strong as far as this recruiting class. Are you surprised by it at all? No. Uh, this is kind of what we what we talked about when we did the recruiting podcast. Like their uh, their margin of error is slim, but it's just hard. It's not impossible. And and they've they've shown that with how they've recruited over the last few weeks. You mentioned the recruiting ranking. I think. They were, they were what like 53rd or something when when we had that conversation a few weeks ago now they're up to 24th and and they're as you mentioned they're well in line to to add some four and five star talent to that uh to that roster so they're they're looking poised to at least shoot up into the top 15 or top 10 if not higher than that if things go if things go according to to their plan so i, I can't say that i'm surprised by them shooting up and I imagine they will continue to do so in the in the coming weeks. God knows they have the room to. They only have eight guys committed right now. Yeah, uh, there, there's going to be a lot of additions. Uh, they're going to have to, and it's just a matter of who those guys are going to be uh, and how highly you know thought of or ranked they are. And you know you always got to think with Nick Saban if they're adding three star prospects, they see something that they really like. Um, I, I think that at certain positions, quarterback being one of them. Um, you know, they, they might sometimes go out there and fill a need and maybe offer a guy who wouldn't have gotten an offer otherwise. Uh, Lane Hatcher is the one that comes to mind with that. And granted, look what he's done at Arkansas State. So Alabama saw something in him uh, kind of being a diamond in the rough. And he, him spending a year at Alabama, I think, really helped him. And now it's helping Arkansas State. Uh, but, you know, he was a guy that I don't think would have normally gotten an Alabama offer, but they really needed a quarterback for that class. And he was the guy they were able to uh, convert or get the flip from Arkansas State, who he was committed with to at the time. 
So, yeah, uh, you know, we'll kind of see how things play out. So we've talked about the guys that are leaving, the guys that are no longer on Alabama's roster. We talk about the guys who will soon be on Alabama's roster someday next year, I guess. Uh, but what about the guys who are currently on the roster? You know, with all this COVID-19 stuff going on, uh, you know, Alabama, I think, released, you know, how they're kind of going about things as far as their procedures. Why don't you start talking about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, this was coming from uh... – from from Cecil. Uh, so as, as people know, they started bringing Alabama started bringing athletes back onto campus in a phase plan starting June 1st. Football players came back to campus June 1st, thereabouts for a June 8th voluntary workout start date. And then men's and women's basketball uh, athletes started coming back around June 8th to prepare for June 15th. Voluntary workers, uh, there's extensive testing done by the uh, University of Alabama system, so not just the Tuscaloosa campus, but the entire statewide system, the task force therein, the president's advisory committee, and other uh, governmental agencies. Uh, and this is all from from reporting from Cecil Hurt. There are other COVID-19 uh, prevention and mitigation measures at Alabama and Tuscaloosa. This is just the Tuscaloosa campus. Include. Uh, required training for student athletes about prevention and mitigation measures, hand washing, social social distancing, things like that. Daily screenings for possible symptoms, limiting workout groups to 20 or less and implementing social distancing in all workout facilities, requiring masks, be worn in facilities, no sharing of towels or water bottles. Uh, that's what their COVID-19 procedures are. And uh as we've mentioned multiple times, what happens from now till August and September and October has a bigger impact on if and when the college football season is played than what happened in June when athletes were coming back to campus and we were getting reports of up to eight COVID uh, positive tests at Alabama and uh, like one or two at Ole Miss and like seven at Arkansas State and a couple throughout the country and, and, and things like that. So when when we go back to these protocols in August and September and bad things are happening and some portions of the football season are, are cast into jeopardy, as, as has already happened at the SWAC level. There are SWAC schools that are canceling some games already. These are the things that we need to go back and look at and say these are the things that were done and whether they work or don't work, these are the things that we'll have to have to look at. So there is a there is Alabama's COVID-19 procedures. I imagine a lot of people are kind of wondering what schools are doing to to make this as safe as possible for for athletes. And there's the there's the answer for the Alabama side. Right. And. You know, I, I just I continue to hold this belief that they're going to figure out a way to get the college football season done. And not everybody's on board with that. Dr. Fauci is one of them um, who's come out and said that, you know, if, if things uh, certain things don't happen, he could very well see the football season not happening. And we'll just kind of see how that plays out. Um, but, you know, when you look at Alabama and what they're trying to do as far as from a preventative measure standpoint, um, they're, they're trying to stay on top of it, this, and I think they're doing about as good of a job as anybody in the country, despite the fact that I think they've had up to eight players who have tested positive. Um, we don't know the names of any of the players or anything like that, but that's kind of just the reports that have been out there. And um, limited information, and I don't think we're going to get too much more, but they're probably handling it. I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, not just when these guys recover 
uh, from it. Now, granted, if you're not really showing a whole lot of symptoms or any symptoms, a lot of them have been asymptomatic. That is one thing. Uh, you don't think that when they recover, they're going to have any kind of lingering effects from it if they weren't showing symptoms in the first place. But we don't fully know. Uh, Houston players, at least a few of them, they've been actually showing uh, some symptoms. And, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys and the Houston Texans, they've all, you know, come out and said they have people that have tested positive, including Ezekiel Elliott. And when you look at a guy like Ezekiel Elliott, and I'm just going to use him as an example because one of the few players that we actually know uh, that he has it um, and he's dealing with it. You know, that's a guy that, as far as I know, he's asymptomatic. But if there are any sort of lingering effects, you're talking about a running back, a guy that's got to be in great shape. This is a a, uh, uh, some, a sickness or a disease that attacks the lungs and makes it more difficult to breathe. And so you got to think for a world-class athlete, that's good as far as fighting it off. But it's also, you know, you really need to be able to have your stamina and breathing uh, tip-top shape if you want to be an impact player for your football team. And so monitoring how guys recover are there lingering effects, uh, things like that. That'll be really interesting to to kind of watch too. So I wanted to bring that up. But from all indications, uh, despite the fact that all this is going on with the Dallas Cowboys, the Houston Texans, the the Houston, um, uh, their collegiate program there, it still seems like everything's trucking forward. Uh, there's still votes being passed. There's still things being done. And all these steps are kind of still heading in that direction of college football happening. And to me, I would think that that's a good sign. It doesn't mean college football is guaranteed to happen, but uh, at least you know it still seems like they're they're moving forward with things and they're not halting and, and moving backwards. Now Houston kind of suspended its voluntary workouts, but I mean for more like a national scale on things. So that I thought that was good to see. Um, so any more thoughts on that? Not particularly. Uh, I don't want to bang that drum into the into the ground. You know, it's uh, it's fair. It's yeah, we we've done plenty of that. We can we can go to other things like two things, two more pieces of news that we've uh, we've compiled for this long-awaited podcast. SEC Media Days going virtual, and the uh, more recent development of Alabama setting a home and home series with Ohio State. We'll get to those things after the break. You're listening to the Bama Beat Podcast. And we're back on the Bama Beat Podcast, brought to you by Wickles. Pickles. Before long, um, Hunter, Cecil, and I are going to have a, a roundtable episode. We're going to see if we can work Clint into that. There's some technical hurdles to, to get through. I'm not super optimistic, but we'll we'll see. Uh, I'm imagining Wickles Pickles will come up there. Apparently, uh, as we were recording this podcast, they put out a basketball podcast that mentioned Wickles Pickles heavily. So local, local Wickles Pickles expert Hunter Johnson is here is your man for all Wickles Pickles products. Uh, go to WigglesPickles.com to learn more about their pickles, relishes, okras, and much more. Wickles Pickles, let's get wicked. So what what do you find more likely? The fact that you're opining for traditional SEC media days or the fact that you're in Columbus for the Alabama-Ohio State game in 20, what is it, 27? Yeah, which do you find more likely? Now repeat that. Which uh, try that again? But do you will you miss SEC media days as it is normally held, or will you be in Columbus for the football game in 2027? Which do you find more likely? Um, I, I both. Uh, I, I certainly. Okay. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I fully plan to be in Columbus uh, in 2027 when Alabama goes up there to play them. And then also, I mean, with the virtual SEC media days, I, I think it'll be kind of cool in some ways. But, man, I don't know about you, but just going and um, getting to be a part of SEC media days, it's always a really cool experience. I always really enjoy it. Get a ton of work done there, a lot of things you can cover. Um, and just being in the atmosphere, to me, I've always kind of looked at it as the launching point for the college football season, uh, even though it's still a little bit of a ways away, it's always kind of you're getting a lot of good content. You're getting back in front of the players and getting interviews, and you're getting back in front of the coaches, and you're really starting to see them kind of ramp up in, for their preparation uh, for the season and what that looks like and what guys, certain guys are expecting. And then you're getting the national media's reaction, the local media's reaction, and just uh, getting able, being able to pick and see where other people kind of have uh, – certain teams ranked as far as where they think they're going to finish in the sec whether it be the west or the east and i just i love that aspect of it now granted we're still going to get to do a lot of that stuff we're still going to get the reactions and the from the i think um and this is something like a question that i have for you because i haven't really looked into this too much how is this going to be set i know that it's virtual but is it going to be where certain people are on uh asking questions or how are they going to kind of structure that have they said yeah no they haven't uh they haven't specified that they haven't even specified the dates for for when it will uh, happen. Uh, so a, a lot of that is a lot of that remains to be seen. And, and personally, I'm very interested in, in seeing how that goes down. But since uh, since I, I don't know how much the the fan is going to have access to that as it happens, like they like they have with the SEC network, which live streams everything from from SEC media days under normal circumstances. I don't know how much the the fan is going to care about that all that much. Uh, I, I just think it's, you know, you're going to hear a lot of uh, media folk uh, moaning and complaining about things about SEC media days. And here's here's my two cents on, on SEC media days and the, the show that it has become over the last, like, five years or so. It, if you – SEC media days stopped being about the media roughly – Four to five years ago, uh, at that point, it became an SEC network event and it became a fan event. If you go into it understanding that it is not for the media, it is for SEC network and it is for the fans. If you go into it with that understanding, then everything is fine. Your expectations are going to be in line. You're not going to go there hoping for one thing and getting another. You will take what you can out of the event and you can go back home with your sanity intact. That's my two cents on, on SEC media day. So if you, if you expect, I, I guess it's, it's a foolish errand for reporters to go to SEC media days, expecting it to be about media or, or for media. That's where, that's where my, my opinion lies. So well, I'll say, I'll say this. Um, and, and this is probably just due to the fact that I've only been going the last three or four years. And that's right after uh, kind of this transition was made. I don't really have anything else to compare it against or, or, or to. Um, but for me, uh, I, I completely see exactly what you're saying, uh, and, and I com completely agree with it. I guess, um, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it. Now, granted, I do like the aspect from the standpoint of, you know, there's, there's certain guys and players um, that me covering Alabama and its football program that I'm really not going to have access to uh, throughout the rest of the year. And so just get, being able to get the takes and granted the main focus, uh, for me and you and, and Cecil, uh, as far as covering 
Alabama is, you know, Alabama when they're up, that's going to be very important. And then Auburn, LSU, they're also important, but even other teams, uh, kind of that Alabama is maybe not playing over in the sec East, uh, that, you know, like a Florida, who's going to be a national championship contender or a playoff contender and, and things of that nature. I like the, the fact that we get a little bit of access to some of their guys and whether it be players or coaches. Um, and so I, I at least enjoy that aspect of it. And maybe that's one of my big takeaways that, uh, you know, I look at it in a way of that's something that I'm probably not going to get for the rest of the year. Right. And, and those things are, are valuable. But again, those are the those are the minority in the uh, in the Very equation. And, and, and again, that's fine. I, it doesn't have to be about me. It doesn't have to be about me. But it, this year is probably going to be different. Right. Because, uh, I mean, maybe the SEC network uh, live streams Zoom teleconference calls with all 14 head coaches and these athletes and, and all these media people, but I just find the the logistics there uh, kind of difficult and, and challenging. Um, but maybe they'll, uh, maybe they'll find a way to, to figure that out. I don't know. I, I imagine it will be different this year. Um, it's just, I, I just wonder how, I wonder how the build up to the season will be different without that, because I, Fans have come to understand or fans have come to expect that they can have four days of live streamed press conferences from the people of the S from the coaches and players of the SEC on SEC network. And and like you mentioned, that kind of kicks off the the football season for them. Um, So I wonder how the, how the buildup to the season will be, will be different in that sense. But We'll we'll have to to wait and see uh, the logistics of all of it. I don't know the dates of it. I don't know. I'm just curious how it uh, how it comes together. And we might as well transition to the Ohio State series to to end this thing. I know we talked about scheduling a podcast or two ago. I can't remember exactly which one, but the Ohio State series they scheduled or announced yesterday, Thursday, I should say, which was at Ohio State in 2027, and home against Ohio State in 2028. That gives them six of the next 15 seasons where they have a 10-game, a 10-power-5 game schedule. In 2025, they'll host Wisconsin and go to Florida State. In 2026, they'll host Florida State and go to West Virginia. 2027, they'll host West Virginia, go to Ohio State. 2028, they'll host Ohio State and go to Notre Dame. And then in 2032 and 2020, 2032 and 2033 are the alternating home and home series with Arizona and Oklahoma host Arizona, go to Oklahoma host Oklahoma, go to Arizona. So if it wasn't abundantly obvious before it is now that Alabama is clearly of the belief that they're either going to be playing 11 power five game schedules or they're going to be staying in a eight-game SEC schedule, and they're going to follow the ten Power Five game model for for their future. It, it's hard to know which one, um, and maybe they don't know, and they're just trying to beef up their schedule best they can. But it, it's clear they're they're doing everything they can to get to a ten Power Five game scheduling model. Is it not wild? I mean, I'm super excited about it just you know, because I guarantee you there are going to be a lot of other programs that start following suit with this, um, and they kind of already are. But for Alabama 
just it's nothing against those smaller schools, but you know, in, in twenty twenty eight, Alabama's gonna start the season on the road against Notre Dame on September second, then the very next week they're gonna be playing Ohio State on September ninth at home. And just that imagining starting your college football season, uh, that's a lot more pressure. You know, that that's a much tougher uh, you know, because then you start getting getting into SEC play after that. Uh, you know, I don't know what the SEC is going to look like in 2028, but my guess would there would be that they're still going to be one of the top conferences in college football, if not the top conference. So that's going to be a gauntlet of a schedule. But it for the fan perspective and for the media perspective, like us, th- th- it's going to be so much fun to cover all these big name historic games that Alabama is going to be scheduling or has scheduled over the course of the next uh, decade, decade and a half. So my, my question after this is they're, they're trying to do this 10 power five game model. That much is clear. It, it's hard to see them getting it done in 2022, 2023 and 2024, just because these things are booked so far in advance now that I find it hard to believe that there's a, prominent power five program out there that has availabilities in those seasons to, to help Alabama get to that, that 10 power five game model. They're clearly wanting to get to. So if you're going to add after that, like who do you want to see on Alabama's schedule? Cause just look at the big game program or well, let's just go through all the power five teams that Alabama currently has home and homes with Texas, Wisconsin, Florida state, West Virginia, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, Arizona, Oklahoma, Virginia Tech. Like, if you were to compile a short list of schools that you would like to see Alabama add home and homes with, obviously Clemson is on that list. Uh, USC USC is on that list. You would probably put Penn State on that list if they didn't just play a home and home in 2010 and 2011. But Again, if you were to schedule home and home with Penn State, it probably wouldn't be before 2029. So uh, there will be almost two decades of separation in between the two series at that point. So uh, Clemson, USC, Penn State, uh, Nebraska, maybe Michigan would be another one. Uh, that that I, one? yeah, uh, Oregon potentially. Oregon, sure. But I mean, where where else would the list go? Like uh, there's not a whole lot more pro I mean, now granted, I'm not saying there's not more great programs out there, but right. I mean, as far as like the blue bloods and stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's exact. A lot of the other blue bloods are in the sec who they're already either. Uh, they either have them on the schedule or they're on a rotation, whether it be like a Florida or a, t- you know, uh, a Georgia or whatever. I mean, right. your other blue bloods are already in the, in conference uh, Miami, which they're, they're playing in a, uh, in a neutral side game in Atlanta in 2021. So there's, there's that. So maybe you gotta you gotta wait another decade or so before you get Miami in a home and home. Um, but I'm having trouble thinking of another destination style opponent that would that would fit that. And then once you once you get those once you pass those like quote unquote helmet games, then you can get to other cool places to go like Oklahoma State and Texas Tech and uh, North Carolina and Virginia and. Washington and uh, Stanford. Uh, Stanford would actually be a, be a good one, too. There's a lot of history between Stanford and Alabama and, and football. Um, so they've, they've done a really good job of getting big-time games on their schedule in the future. And, and uh, in, in some aspect, their hand has been forced 
because you know this is how you're going to sell tickets now. You can't, you can no longer expect your season ticket holders to just swallow watching Alabama beat Southern Miss, New Mexico State, and the Citadel by a combined final score of 156 to 13 while you're playing USC in a game that they don't get in their season ticket package or playing Miami in a game that they don't get in their season ticket package. So you kind of have to do these home and homes to keep your season ticket holders on, on the hook. So to a certain extent, their hand has been forced, but there are a lot of schools out there that have not been this aggressive, that have not done it to this level. So while to a certain extent their hand was forced, they also deserve some credit for for not taking the bare minimum. They are going as far and as aggressive as they possibly can. And to the benefit of fans, like you said, and that's the part that the, the big thing that I take away from it is the fact that they're kind of going ahead and getting ahead of a lot of this stuff. I guarantee you other teams are going to be following suit. But Alabama fans over the course of the next decade, decade and a half, there's just a lot of good football because the SEC games, um, even the smaller SEC games, even when you're playing the Vanderbilts or the Arkansas, the Ole Misses, um, kind of some, and, and no disrespect to any of those teams, just the, the ones that are kind of considered towards the bottom half of, of the SEC, um, you know, those are still exciting games that fans want to attend uh, just because it's an SEC opponent and it means something. Um, but for, you know, to be adding, you know, Texas and Oklahoma and Ohio State and Notre Dame and, and just to me, a lot of great marketable football games for the future. And and you have to think from the network, you know, the TV network standpoint, that's going to equate to more dollar signs for them. Uh, and it's going to equate to more dollar signs for the universities because it's a lot easier to market, you know, Alabama playing uh, Ohio State in 2028 than Alabama playing New Mexico State. And, and what channel does that end up on? You know, that's going to be um, a, a highly sought after game to carry. That's mm-hmm. great for Alabama and it's great for Ohio State. So I think from a numbers standpoint, uh, a revenue standpoint, I think it was really important that they did this and they got out ahead of it. And now, you know, there's going to be there's a lot of the blue blood programs that are out there as some of these other schools start trying to do it, maybe like an Auburn. Um, they're going to have to settle for the second and third tier, maybe uh, because, you know, Alabama's already locked up at least one of them. Uh you know, per season. So it, it'll, you know, granted now you can schedule them in different years too. Uh, it's not like it would be in the same year that they, they couldn't, you know, Alabama or excuse me, Auburn could go and try to play Ohio state and, you know, maybe in 2020, 2032 or something like that. Um, yeah. but yeah, you, you get the point. My, my last point on, on this and probably my last for, for this episode is once that home and home with Ohio state is done in the previous 15 years, Alabama will have played Ohio State more frequently than it played South Carolina. Maybe that's a problem, SEC. Maybe that's an issue. That's that's actually fair. That's a good point. Um, so, you got anything else? I feel like we've covered all these topics pretty extensively. I like to think so. Um, okay. and, and again, I think uh, Cecil and Hunter did a little – mailbag action on the uh, basketball pod. So if you have questions, tweet them at me at Brett underscore Hudson. Tweet them at, at Clint at Clint R. Lamb. Uh, the best way to guarantee your question gets on the podcast is to leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes or your uh, your podcast platform of choice, but preferably iTunes since they tend to factor that into their podcast distribution. Take a screenshot of your rating and review. Send it to me. 
my Twitter, Instagram, my Twitter DMs are open. My Instagram DMs are open. My email is bhudson at tuscaloosanews.com. And that's a, that's a way to guarantee your question gets on the Bama beat. Because, again, with, uh, with virtual SEC media days and, and little else going on, we ain't got a lot to talk about between now and a couple of days before the USC game, whenever that happens. So if you want to help us out, we'll take it. Yeah, and it's just always easier for us when we get a little bit of guidance uh, from the listeners. Um, you know, granted, we have no problem uh, coming up with the topics on our own. It, it can sometimes be a little bit more difficult, but if you're a fan and you have a question or you have a topic that you want covered that you would be very interested in, shoot it on over to us. And, and you know, who knows, between uh, Brett, Cecil, Hunter, and myself, uh, we'll get a nice combination in there to cover it and uh, you know especially if you can get cecil on there he can cover pretty much anything pretty extensively and give you some great information um so definitely get that in and like brett said i think we're going to be doing um an in-person for the first time in quite a while uh podcast sometime in the near future i actually was talking with hunter about it last night and i think i'm gonna go ahead uh we were talking and i'm probably gonna go ahead and come down to tuscaloosa to make sure there's no kind of technical difficulty so yeah yeah, so we'll get the foursome uh, all together and and see if we can't create some kind of havoc, um, you know, here in the next couple of weeks. So that should be a lot of fun. Stay tuned for that. Brett, man, thank you so much for always taking the time to hop on here with me. I know that you're super busy at home with the girls and uh, with with you know all your other responsibilities with the Tuscaloosa News and Tidesports.com. This is always a good time, brother, and it was good talking to you. I hope I hope Emma's sneezes just then got picked up by the, it did it did I, I noticed that. <laughs> Bless you, Emma. All right. We're going to get your talk now. Yeah. All right. So thank you guys for listening. This is the Bama Beat Podcast brought to you by Wickles Pickles.